hello. Welcome to Dad Pod Season 3, Episode 8. Uh, it's the one where we talk about vaccinations and other things. I'm Moshe Ginsberg. This is Charlie Clawson, the very weary Charlie Clawson. Was it a hard night? Yeah. Did you like, hang on, let me just get this right. It's- you went out for a couple of cheeky beers last night. And then one thing led to another, and then someone called their guy, and before you know it, yeah. you're in an Uber on the way to Surfers Paradise, and you spend the whole night on Orchid Avenue. Sometime around daybreak, surfing looked like a great idea, so you borrowed some boards from the backpackers, you surfed until 10 a.m., hitchhiked all the way back down to Byron, got back on it again at the bottom pub, and have wandered home, and now I'm getting you. Is that what happened? Osh, the only part of that story that lines up is the part to do with bottles. But the <laughs> bottles we're talking about are not beer bottles. They are milk bottles. Uh, yes, I have had just a rough couple of nights with Iona. I, it's weird. I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, we, this is a common theme when, on, on this podcast about parenthood is like you think you got it figured out and then, you know, a curveball happens. Yep. And so she's in a phase right now where I don't know if it's a brain development thing. I don't know if it's a teeth teething thing. I don't know if it's just, dad, you're just not going to settle me kind of thing. But she has just not been settling. And Jem's been away, so I've had her on my own. And I reckon I've had about six hours sleep in the last 48 hours God just from damn. having to kind of like get up and settle her. And she – and I know we advise people to do the complete opposite, but I've been on WebMD because I – she wet the bed, which is bizarre because she goes to bed in a nappy, but I went in at about 3 a.m. because she was grizzling and the mattress was soaked and like her nappy was the fullest I've ever seen. And it was like, is this something to be concerned about? And so I went online and I did as much research as I could. The nearest I could read is I've just given her too much liquid during the day, but I don't recall it being an excessively heavy liquid day. I yeah. don't know what happened, but you know, the thing you're concerned about when it comes to uh, a kid is a dry nappy because that means they're dehydrated. Probably wet nappy is not, is not so bad. But because of that, I then went into a sort of hypervigilance mode. So last night, even though I got her down at a normal time, I couldn't allow myself to relax and go to sleep because I'm like, God, like if she has a wet nappy again, I'm probably going to have to take her to the doctor, which is a lovely way of uh, segueing into today's topic, Osh, <laughs> which is when you need to look out for changes in your baby's health and behaviour and make the decision whether or not you're going to take them to the doctor. Because that's a big part of being a parent and, you know, there's a lot of – a lot of hoo-ha about it, but this is the episode where we talk about it. We talk about modern science and the fact that infant mortality is the lowest it has been in the entirety of human history. And a big part of that is modern science, antibiotics, and yes, vaccinations. I remember Wolfie got, he got vaccinated, I think, like on day one. I think he got a shot, I think, of vitamin K on day mm. one. Uh, which is an essential. It's not exactly a, a causes a vaccination response, but it just kind of fortifies him against all kinds of other deficiencies that could be a problem. And I understand vaccine reluctance. I understand that you might not be thinking that there's some sort of weird side effect that's going to turn your baby into a you know a fire breathing lizard person. But the idea that this perfect, pure human just breathing life for the the first time, and now a metal needle from a stranger with a chemical is going into them. I understand that that's hard to grasp mm. and I, I get it when it was happening I was like oh okay right here we go but then a part of me is like well is it a risk I'm prepared to take to live knowing that I've not given this boy the chance of actively fighting off this really common thing that they have done the risk reward balance sheet and gone it's actually 
worth it to do this today than waiting to see if he's going to get ill. And that's really the whole thing is weighing up the risk versus reward and all this stuff, isn't it? I mean, I've got to be honest, Osh, like I've never heard of vitamin K. In fact, like until today, if you had said a doctor gave me vitamin K, I'd be like, is that Dr. <laughs> Nick Riviera? Vitamin K sounds like one of those off-brand supplements you're going to yeah. get from like Bilo or something. No, like that. I didn't know vitamins went as far into the alphabet as K. It's something you take at ARC at uh, yeah. 9 a.m. on a Monday after walking in <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> Vitamin K. I don't yeah. even know if that nightclub still exists, but it was somewhere in the somewhere in the two thousands. It was terrifying. Ark will never die. Ark will outlive us all. Ark and cockroaches are the only two things to survive a nuclear holocaust. Oh my god! Uh, but yeah, so vaccinations are. I, I understand why people are reluctant. Uh, we're actually pretty good as far as vaccination rates in Australia. We're somewhere between 89 and 93% right across all age groups, which is pretty, pretty good. We need need to be up around 95% to make sure that herd immunity is a thing in our country. But there's a, you know, there's a lot, a lot of talk about vaccine, but I think people don't really go for what the main hesitance is, which is I just don't want to see my baby cry. I don't want yeah. to see a needle going to my child. I don't want to see, you know, I might be afraid of blood. I might, I don't want to see, put my baby through pain. And that's real. Yeah. that's, that's the, that's the biggest one. And we're not saying that, you know, there isn't the potential for side effects, but the whole argument around vaccines is that, look, we, we are saying as a society for the greater good, knowing that there is a small percentage of the population having a reaction to said vaccine, it is better in the long run if more people take the vaccine. And that's the kind of thinking you have to have. You have to be community-minded in your approach to it. But like I was just saying, it doesn't take away the fact that seeing a needle go into your newborn baby can be upsetting. Yeah, but if you just want to then watch some footage, and it's not hard to find, watch footage of a newborn baby. Like I watch footage of a 10-week-old baby with whooping cough, Charlie. Mm. And watching a 10-week-old child, like literally the size of a doll, struggle for a breath and her mum just sit by the side of the bed, the kid's on an oxygen mask and the kid can barely get enough air in and mm. they just have to wait and hope that she pulls through. There's nothing they can do. Mm. Fuck no, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no way. Hell no. But I guess for me, Charlie, it's all about weighing up risk versus reward. So it's not saying that there aren't risks, but there's risks in every single part of life. We have seatbelts in cars because of a risk. We take a risk when we step into a lift. We take a risk when we get on an escalator. Goodness, we take a risk when we turn on a toaster. There's a chance that every single thing that we touch and use in modern society could possibly kill us. And many of those risks are vastly greater than the kind of risks you're facing to an adverse reaction to a vaccine. Speaking of risks, I, I didn't realize there's a thing called a micromort. Do you know what a micromort is? Oh, it's my favorite Saturday morning cartoon, the micromorts, <laughs> right? It came right between mask and GI Joe. Um, <laughs> a micromort is a one in one million chance of death. Okay. So, for example, if you drive a car 400 kilometers, which for me, my work is 40 Ks away. So that's three Ten days trips. of work. I've driven a car. But I can't even do the maths right. No, that's about right. Ten, it's, it's 10 trips, you said. So 400 kilometres, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, So like within yeah, a week so of work, trips. I will have done that. Yeah. I've got a one in a million chance of dying from driving that far. Better still, the motorcycle that we, that I ride, I only have to ride 10 kilometres to have a one in a million chance of 
of death. There's some research done in the Journal of Allergy and Immunology that found only 33 people had a potentially life-threatening allergic reaction out of 25 million vaccines given. Uh, so the allergic reaction they were talking about was anaphylaxis. So essentially that's 1.3 people in every million who gets a vaccine. So just yesterday when I rode my motorbike 80 k's to and from work, that's like <laughs> like the risks of, getting of just injured. commuting just in your year of your life are so far beyond any risk that you have of, you know, vaccinating your kid. And so if you think about how easily you make that choice, you weigh up, well, I need to get from here to there. So I'm going to drive, knowing that there's a risk to driving, knowing that even though I might be the safest driver ever, I am still at risk from getting in a car. That risk mm. reward, you able to make that calculation quite the same calculation is the one you make about vaccinations. And so just try to understand that that's everything. There's lists here, Charlie, that go into like your chances of being killed by electrocution in a bathtub <laughs> you yeah. know, is, is higher than vaccination. Uh, the point being, it is statistically insignificant, the chances of, of something bad happening. And the upside is so great. And also the duty of care to your community is also incredibly important because the more of us that do it, the more chance we have to stamp out these diseases from the dark yeah. ages. And you're absolutely right. The risk is not no risk. There is mm. still 1.3 people in a million will have this severe reaction. That's not to say it's not there, but mm. we do things every single day that have a far higher risk of danger or death, and we don't even think twice about such things. I wonder what the, the statistics are on podcasters who have been electrocuted by their own podcasting equipment, because I bet you that is higher <laughs> than the chance of an adverse reaction to a vaccine. Matt, you- Osher and I are putting our lives on the line. The least you guys can do is vaccinate your damn kids. That's all I'm saying. So Wolfie's had, he's just turned 18 months, so he's just had his, uh, I think he's was all of everything. He's got this, did you get the big all blue book when um, Iona was born? Yes, I believe everyone gets given, and at least in New South Wales, everyone gets given the big blue book. But yes, uh, she also had she had her 18-month jabs on Wednesday. So you get everything and you get a second dose of the 12-month jab as well. The triple M? No. What's it called? The uh, MMA? Oh, no. no. Triple M- M- MMR. MMR. Measles, mum's rubella. <laughs> I should call cans of measles. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> New sport and measles. <laughs> <laughs> how does um how does Wolfie go with the jabs? He seems like a, a sturdy young boy. I don't think he he doesn't strike me as a fussy kid when he gets jabbed. No, he's actually he's actually pretty good. He's you know understandably you know a bit like that sucks and gave mm. a bit of a cry on the times that because oh, it's happened a few times by now. He he gave yeah. a bit of a cry and he was a bit annoyed. But thankfully, the people that do give the vaccinations, the doctors that do give the vaccinations are very, very good at, you know, different techniques and different ways. Like there's a thing called the koala cuddle. Do you know what the koala cuddle is? Yep. I did it on Wednesday. I just got taught the koala cuddle. No other doctor had shown me that before. Talk us through the koala cuddle. So the koala cuddle is where you, because um, they're going to be getting jabs in either arm. Is this the same? We're talking about the same thing where you get yeah, the arms across the body? Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to get jabs in both arms. So you sit behind your kid with your kid in your lap and you just take their arms across their body, kind of like the brace position when you're on an, on an airplane, and you just hold their arms so that they can administer two jabs at once rather than, you know, sequential jabs. 
Right. And there's also the reverse koala, which is where they they basically are chest to chest with you and they're on your oh. lap. And there's there's an assistant that comes into the room and one person is over your shoulder talking to the baby or showing the baby something while the doctor's behind both of you going, ha ha, bam. And, you know, kid never even knows, which is pretty great. I still remember my youngest brother, Ed, when he got his vaccines. I think he was about whatever his 24 months ones, his two years ones, because he could speak fairly well by then. Mm. And I remember him sitting on the edge of the bed and the doctor, she injected him and he just kind of looked up and said, mom, the lady put a hole in me. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Ione's actually been really good with all her, um, all her jabs. She's like Wolfie. She'll give a little bit of a, a growl or a moan when she gets the jab, but then seems to brush it off pretty quick. This time around, the fatal mistake I made was the doctor had a, like a novelty tape measure in there, like with a cat's face on it or something, and I used that to distract Iona. So after the jabs had happened and she had this little toy in her hands, she didn't cry when the jabs happened, but when I then tried to take the toy from her, my God, you should have heard the bloody tantrum she oh. threw. Like everyone in this doctor's surgery came into the room because they thought, oh, my God, this kid's had a terrible reaction to the jabs. No, no. Her terrible reaction was I was taking this Hello Kitty tape measure away from her. <laughs> so the main things, and, and that's the way vaccinations work, as you all know by now, vaccinations work by stimulating the immune system and basically tricking the body into thinking that it's been infected and that body then creates the antibodies, which it then uses when, if or when the actual infection takes place. And so there will be things, possibly things like fevers or grizzliness and, you know, Wolfie's experienced those and a couple of days go by and, and, and then it clears up, but that's just all a part of it. And now he is some fucking superhero and won't die of a, of a disease that should have been left in a dickens From the middle ages. And that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's funny, a lot of people do ask us on this show, like, what's the one bit of advice? If, you know, being given a bit of advice early on, what would you tell people? And I often, like, struggle, but I was thinking about it this week, knowing this topic was coming up. And if there was one bit of advice I could give any of you listening who are expectant fathers, it's to get the baby Panadol early and have it in your medicine cabinet early. Because yeah. for whatever reason, when Iona got her first immunization, the doctor, we knew that there could be a side effect, but the doctor just failed to mention the fact that that can be easily brought down with Panadol. And so she had her jab. It wasn't a fever, but it was a, a, an elevated temperature of somewhere around 38. And she was only three months old at the time. And so we called the government health line, the nurse, which is another great resource when you uh, have a child and you're not sure, is this something that should be going to emergency for? Is this something that I can deal with myself? So it's a nurse on call, spoke to them. And they said, look, this all seems pretty routine for an immunization, raised fever, but because of the age of your child, you're going to need to go to the hospital, which was a whole ordeal in itself, which could have been dealt with just with a bit of baby Panadol. We could have brought the fever down. We could have spent the night at home with her and not staying in the hospital till 4 a.m. as it turned out. What other things do you think are handy to have? Like we all have the medicine cabinet. Before babies, my medicine cabinet has basically dealt with things of, you know, how do I stop myself bleeding after cutting myself while cooking and what can I do to manage a hangover? That's pretty much the limits of the medical stuff that I had in my house. What are some things that yeah. you think people should start, you know, thinking about just having on standby besides the, the baby Panadol or the Dimadon, which we've mentioned? 
Okay. Well, in those early stages, I reckon, yes, baby Panadol will be the first. You might want to go for something with some ibuprofen in it as well, like there's baby Nurofen as well, if you want something that's a bit stronger. Remember with those things too, that they are calibrated to your baby's weight. So each bottle and each syringe will have clearly marked milligram uh, measurements. And you can just measure that against the back of the box, which will tell you your baby's age and weight. It's very important that you get that right, because you can like overload their kidneys if you don't get the measurements right. So just make sure that you have your baby's weight and you've got their age and you've measured it up with the, with the syringe. On that, if your baby is a bit of a unit, like Wolf is, just get the Panadol or the Dimadol or the Nurofen or whatever that is for the bigger baby. So they might be zero to, zero to 12 months. Wolf right now is on the two to five years because the amount of Panadol he needs at the lower, they're basically a, a higher concentration when they get bigger because otherwise it's mm-hmm. too, he's still not able to drink syrup out of a cup just yet so we can't yep. dose him that way so we still have to use a syringe but it ends up being a three syringe job and one syringe is hard three is forget about it so yeah but, but again it, all, the, all the weights are just on the back of the box so it's pretty easy the other thing that you want to have is a thermometer of some kind now we were given in uh, as part of the baby shower i believe like an in, one of those infrared uh star trek thermometers the one that reads the heat from a distance of two centimeters garbage Absolute garbage. <laughs> Every time I'm watching like a sporting event that's uh, COVID safe where they'll like test the athletes before they come out, I'm like, well, this is bullshit. They are so inaccurate. Like you can get a different reading every time you use it. I even, when I went to the hospital, I asked them about that. They said, no, you want to get like an, a rectal thermometer is the most accurate. I can understand that some people don't want to be putting things inside their babies. So there are other thermometers, which are just skin thermometers. The easiest one being the underarm, because keep in mind, it's not like your kid is going to just gently open its mouth and allow you to place a thermometer under its tongue. The armpit is the best place to do it. My personal recommendation, um, and this is not a a company that endorses uh, Deadfold anyway, but the VIX thermometer is really, really good. It takes a measurement really quickly. It's color-coded so you know where the temperature is sitting. If it's, you know, green is for normal, yellow for elevated, and then red for fever. And I've found that one has been the most accurate when testing Iona's temperature. We actually have one of the laid on his skin and hit the button. So it's not one that goes mm-hmm. from a distance. And, and we've made it into a bit of a game. So we let him do it to us first. Mm-hmm. Because the one that we had before that was the one that Audrey had used with Georgia when she was little. So this thing had, this is now 15 years old and it was still firing and it died just before Wolfie got born. So Audrey's like, go get another one. Came back with the wrong one. So in the great words of Merrick Watts, buy right once, don't buy wrong three times. And so I had to go back and buy the the right one. And now we've got one that is a bit of a game and it reads in less than a second. So as long as you can get him to sit still for less than a second, beep, it's really good. It's really good, especially in the middle of the night. Who is using a rectal thermometer on a baby? Like how do you get him to stop squirming for that long? I don't know. That is <laughs> way beyond my skill set. Uh, you also want to might might want to have some calamine lotion or antiseptic cream for bites and rashes. Really good for nappy rashes, which is something you should check for periodically. I forget from time to time. I mean, I think you got to remember that your baby's going to be wearing a nappy most of the time. It's getting liquid trapped in there. It's not getting a lot of air. So just always make sure every now and then when you're changing nappy, just to sort of see where rashes are coming up. Band-aids aren't really going to work on a baby, so you want to have some bandage strips with some adhesive tape. So if there is some bleeding or a cut that you need to cover up, you want to have adhesive tape and bandages. And 
it's not super important, but if you feel like you need to clean a wound or some kind of um, uh, infection, you can get some mild baby soap, which is generally liquid soap. It's not perfumed. You want, don't want anything. You don't, I'm not going to be spending, you know, hundreds of dollars on your French uh, uh, taken from a <laughs> from a whale's a whale's blubber soap. You know, you just want the mildest, mildest soap you can get. And also something that I've only really come aware of that if I had if known about this earlier would have been great. After Iona had her gastro, we obviously had to rehydrate her quite quickly and you want to rehydrate them slowly. You don't want them gulping water down because they're just going to bring it back up again. Electrolyte icy poles are fantastic. They look exactly like Zupa Dupas, what you used to get as a kid, but they're electrolytes and it's a great way not only of rehydrating the kid, but rehydrating them at the right pace because you just keep them in the freezer. If they've been sick or they've had some gastro or you need to get some liquid back into them, they can just suck on that ice block. It tastes like a lolly to them, but it gets the liquids into them ASAP. That's a really good shopping list, Charlie. And if you had that in your house, even like when other people come over, they'll be like, damn, you guys are stocked up. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, like I said, I didn't have that until, you know, I'm at 18 months now and I only really just learned about the electrolyte icy pulse. <laughs> now, Osh, we should talk about when it's time to go see a doctor. And I feel like I'm something of an expert in this field because Gemma and I have done three, maybe four hospital visits oh, wow. out of sheer terror. Yeah. <laughs> Not out of terror, but more out of uncertainty about what to do next. As we mentioned before, there is the, uh, in New South Wales, and I'm sure every state government has a health line that you can call, which... Most people, if you call a hospital, they'll just direct you to the nurse on call anyway, who will do a a phone assessment of your situation. But it's understandable that you have this precious little child in your hands. You're detecting a change in temperature, a discoloration of the skin, change in behavior, that you're immediately going to go to the worst case scenario. So here are some tips on when it is uh, necessary to go to the doctor or go to the hospital. It's when your child seems unusually drowsy or floppy. Definitely if your child is unresponsive, if your child has a high-pitched continuous cry or any difficulty breathing or is breathing too quickly or is breathing too shallowly, Um, if they're grunting, if your child's pallor is pale or blue, if they get a purple or red rash that doesn't go away when you press it, if your child won't drink, is not passing urine or has had less than half their usual number of wet nappies or there's repeated vomiting. Now, of that list of things, I have seen one. (laughs) One thing, one of those lists. I went been to the hospital three to four times and I've only seen one of those things, which was the gastro, the repeated, the repeated vomiting, which turned out to be very regulation. The great thing about the health system we have in Australia is that they prioritise children. So if you are concerned or the nurse has recommended you go to the hospital, but you are two minds about whether or not to go, just go. Trust me, you'll get seen straight away. They take great care of you. The only issue you need to think about is that if your child is under the age of six months or maybe even under a year, they will need to keep you there overnight just for observation. It's just the policy in Australia. We found that out at three months when Ian had the raised temperature Mm. after her first round of jabs. If we'd had the baby Panadol, it wouldn't have been an issue, but because we didn't have the baby Panadol, we went into the hospital where they gave her baby Panadol and then they wanted to keep her in overnight. We actually had to get a pediatrician to call into the hospital to do a phone assessment in order to get us home. That's just the hospital uh, covering their legal avenues. There was actually nothing uh, uh, going on there. The second time was when Iona bumped her head. We had her in a friend's bed and she rolled out of the bed and hit her head. It looked much worse than it was. You know, we were trying to put ice on her. We raced off to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, the doctor said, look, 
as parents, you better get used to this because I see about a thousand of these a week. <laughs> like yeah. kids bump their heads. You've done the right thing because you've brought her in thinking, you know, to test for concussion or any of those kind of symptoms. All it was was just a fat lip. Fat lip and, you know, maybe a bit of bruising around her forehead, but she was fine. And then the last time was the gastro. I ordinarily probably wouldn't have taken it in for the gastro because when I spoke to the night nurse, they said it sounds like gastro, but because coincidentally she had bumped her head in the playground earlier that day, we were just checking off all those lists. Now, I'm not saying don't be hypervigilant and I'm not saying be ultra dismissive. I'm saying find that happy medium. Yeah. Like I think if you the way that we sort of framed it in our head was – when we took it to the hospital the first time was, well, this is a test run if there's actually something serious. We kind of, you know, knew that maybe it was just a, a, a bit of a reaction to the jab. So we just use it as a test run. Okay, well, this is the fastest route to the hospital. This is the check-in process. This is what the waiting room's like. This is what the, you know, the emergency area is like. And it's actually not a bad idea to kind of get used to all those kind of things because, you know, as the doctor said, you're probably going to be visiting quite a few times over the next few years. <laughs> Charlie, our guest dad today is the one and only Josh Zepps. Once again on our shores, you'll hear him on ABC Radio all the time in Sydney. His podcast is brilliant podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations with Josh Zepps is out. Now, uh, Josh and his husband have two fantastic little kids. One of them, I do believe, is now pants-free in front of me. <laughs> Not just pants-free, but waggling his doodle and his bum with great vigor. <laughs> well... What, that's three-year-old for I love you? I don't know. <laughs> three-year-old for I love you, Nana. Uh, yeah, it's also three-year-old for I don't care about the fact that you want me to wear underwear, Daddy, because uh, I've got other plans. <laughs> I mean, it's cute, isn't it, when a three-year-old does it, but when I do it, the police are called. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I do it to my mum, she says, you know, Josh, just, just grow up. You're not free anymore. And I go, I am in my spirit, Mother. Don't suppress me. <laughs> Josh, our show today is all talking all about vaccinations and, you know, vaccine hesitancy and, and you know, things that might get in the way of you, you vaccinating your kid. When you had the kids, was it ever a question between you and your husband about vaccinating the kids? No, because we're, we're reasonable people who are rational and rely on data and science and not hocus pocus. So we also didn't go to any witch ceremonies. We didn't go. Uh, we didn't go to any any astrologers before they were born either. Uh, we thought that civilization and twenty first century technology was probably preferable to the dark ages. Does that answer the question? But I believe you were living in New York at the time. No one kind of wanted to lure you out to Montauk with some crystals and a dream catcher. <laughs> oh, they wanted to. It's always the temptation. I mean, I'm a very uh, I'm a very spiritually minded person. I'm very into. You know, I've done your ayahuasca ceremonies, Osha, you know that. I've, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a hippie, but not when it comes to health, safety, knowledge, science. Like, I, don't, I just don't really get I – mean, well, I, I understand the emotional hesitancy, but to me, it's like the hesitancy of getting on an airplane. Like, I, I understand mm. why people are afraid of flying, but I don't understand why they then can't allow their rational brain to override that fear and go – Yep, obviously this is a weird thing to be doing. Uh, my reptilian brain is telling me not to do it. Doesn't make a lot of sense to be flying through the air at 34,000 feet. Doesn't make a lot of sense to be allowing a stranger to stick a needle in my child's arm. You know what? That's just reptile talking. Data, science, 
reason all point in the other direction. Flying is safe. Vaccines are safe. Just do it. Josh, we're just talking also about doctor's visits and, and it's in that first year of having a child, you're like you were saying before, you're sort of hypervigilant and um, looking out for any kind of change in behaviour. Did your son have any issues that uh, required you to go to the hospital or go to a doctor? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, you don't know what you're doing when you first have a kid. Like, every issue is potentially life-threatening as far as I'm concerned. So we went to the doctor mm. a lot and, you know, we ended up in a hospital briefly, not overnight, but, you know, the interminable anxious wait at the hospital for eight hours while they do additional tests and things like that. Yeah, I found that I, that was always my job because my partner would be more freaked out by it than me. As you may have gleaned, I'm a fairly, like, rationally-minded person. Mm. And uh, my only tips about that would be that I, I think that your kids just feed off the energy that you have towards the, the institution, right? Like, I mean, yeah. if you're a bit scared and jittery about it and they can smell that you're sort of bullshitting them when you're saying, it's going to be okay, sweetie, it's, these people are on your side and you don't kind of believe it, then that's going to rub off on them and they're going to be petrified. I just always found that not trying to distract them with too many other things, but being just very matter-of-fact matter about it and being like, you know, we're going to the hospital and Look, in the past 12 months, obviously, we've been a lot more because we've been for, te- for coronavirus tests. They've had probably mm. six or seven COVID tests over the past 12 months, and now they like it. They get a lollipop. They get to play with the nurses. I reckon it's all about, about your attitude, and if you have faith in the institutional, I guess, benefits of having a first-world healthcare system, mm. <laughs> then, then they'll have faith too. That's such a... A very, very important observation and one that we've touched on quite a bit and it really lends to the fact that kids understand the world by just copying the adults around them because they have no experience in what do I do here? And that's why they always look to you to see how you react. And you're absolutely right. So if, if your reaction to the hospital or your reaction to the authority figure or your reaction to the mother-in-law is a negative one, the kid will just copy that. When it comes to mm. the stuff you had in the house to avoid needing to go to doctors and hospitals, what, what's in the first aid kit? Once the two of you kind of transcended the, you know, our first aid kit is just to help us with hangovers and, you know, cutting ourselves <laughs> shaving. Uh, 70,000 Band-Aids, because Band-Aids are not only useful for their practical use for which they were designed, but they are also a balm that will please any child who feels like they're hurt in any way, whether it actually makes scientific sense or not. Oh. So Band-Aids go everywhere of all different shapes and sizes. You want some Band-Aids that are colourful and playful. You want small ones. You want big ones. You want somewhere the adhesive wraps around the plaster and you want somewhere the the little um, cotton bit goes all the way to the edge of the plaster so that you can line them up along like a bruise. So if they've got like a long long cut or a graze or something like that, you can put lots of them alongside each other without them hurting so much when you take them off. Bandages and like basically snake bite and spider bite stuff I've always got nearby because we live in this great, beautiful, flat, brown, deadly land of Australia. And then just some like antibacterial and what do you call it, like an antihistamine to stop local swelling. And that's about it. And some eucalyptus oil. Which is also useful not only for antiseptic, but gets crayon off the walls, I have discovered this week. Is that true? Yeah. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Really? Oh, I like that. Yeah, great. 
See, natural natural remedy. They're always the best. Who needs vaccines when you've got eucalyptus oil? I just watched, when you started talking about snake bites, I just watched Charlie. He's living in the northern rivers of New South Wales, and this Charlie's eyes just become steely with terror. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I lock the doors triply tonight. <laughs> the, the one thing that my wife and I have not been able to figure out is with um, head bumps is how to apply ice to a wriggling child. Have you cracked the code on that yet? No, no. And when you find out, tell me. I mean, my I have two options. Option one, pin them down with a kind of a <laughs> pincer and just hold them there. And preferably there's something entertaining on the telly while you're doing this so they don't feel quite as oppressed as they're actually being. But essentially you just mm. have to be an Avenger who is a skull-crushing Avenger who's holding them in place. Option two, just don't give a stuff and let it let them go. Swell out. <laughs> and just let, let, let the wound be what the wound will be. Honestly, I actually think this is, there is, in although I'm sounding like I'm being lighthearted, I think there is some usefulness in not giving too much of a shit about your kids' injuries and just mm. being like, you know what, it's a bump on the head, it's going to be a big nasty bump on the head. Like, it's just sort of try and measure whether or not they need the kind of tenderness. Is this about their needing to feel like you are a caregiver or is this actually about a medical issue? Because obviously 95% of what's going on when kids hurt themselves is trauma. And if that's mm. the case, then just acknowledge mentally that you're playing a game and just yeah. play the role of that. Just act well in that game and do whatever it needs to be done to make them feel like you love them. But in reality, a- most cuts and grazes and bruises and bumps and all that are going to be fine. They're kids. They bounce. They survive. What I'm hearing, Josh, is you're saying be a parent? <laughs> is, that what, <laughs> is that kind of – is that just a- <laughs> Well, I'm saying – I guess this also relates to my idea about your attitude at the hospital, which I suppose is – my philosophy towards parenting is – because there are various ways of interpreting your statement, be, be a parent – Some people think that that means take on board all of the anxieties and fears of your child and pander to their uncertainty, pander to their smallness, essentially, by validating what they're currently feeling. I'm a little bit more sort of old-fashioned. I'm just like, be the change you want to see in your child's world. Be the man that your dog thinks you are and be the father who helps frame for them what really matters and what doesn't matter, what is actually scary and what is not scary. And sometimes that can come across as being a little bit dismissive by parents who think that it's really important to like own all of your child's trauma. But Mm. I think sometimes we can do damage by playing into the fears or games or mental games and tricks that our kids are playing on themselves. So sometimes like when, when my kids hurt themselves, or fall over, my first reaction is to say, good job, get up. Like, I'm always positive, whereas I see some parents when their kids fall over, they're like, oh, my goodness, are you okay? And then the kid cries. Mm. They are looking to you for guidance about how to interpret this complicated world. And if you're jittery about vaccines and you're jittery about hospitals and you're terrified and panicked every time something bad happens to them, they're going to absorb all of that. Uh, mm. Like my job is to be a strong, confident person who understands the way the world works and knows that there's not too much to be afraid of. And that way, when there really is something to be afraid of and the stakes are actually high, I hope that they'll be better prepared because they only pull those tools out of their toolkit when it really matters. 
The wisdom of Josh Zepps is deep, it is long, and it is often quite funny. Uh, you can find Josh Zepps' <laughs> podcast. It's called Uncomfortable Conversations with Josh Zepps. You can also listen to him on ABC Radio. Josh, uh, thank you so much for bringing... Uh... <laughs> it's, uh, it's a delight and a pleasure. I don't know what I brought. I guess I brought like the judgmental alpha male version of parenting here. And I should add that, Osha, you were a fantastic guest on Uncomfortable Conversations. So if people want to hear your episode, they can search for Uncomfortable Conversations uh, with Josh Steps on all good podcast apps. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Uh, enjoy getting out. And now we've given you 10 minutes respite from a pantsless child. Uh, you're about to, how are you going to handle this situation? How are you going to go back in there? What's going to be your, your move? Well, while I've been talking to you, I've been gently unbuckling my own pants in order to go downstairs <laughs> and, and terrify my mother. So, <laughs> Cooper and I are in it together now, mate. Fantastic. Uh, Osh, we've come to that part of the show uh, where it's time to induct someone into the Dad Pod Hall of Fame. Um, this year, we are, this year, sorry, this season, we are focusing on father figures as opposed to biological fathers. And uh, Osh, if I was to offer you a red pill or a blue pill, <laughs> who would I be? Um, you would be the one, the only Morpheus. That's who you would I'm be. Morpheus. I am the father who's going to tell you the truth. As uncomfortable as it might be, Osh, you need to know that you are living in a dream world. Not only that, but you are capable of so much more. Yes, Morpheus played by Lawrence Fishburne in the Matrix trilogy. Um, not only does he teach his son about the, the world as it really is, not how he perceives it, but he teaches him bloody kung fu. And if only it was that easy to learn kung fu, if only we could just download it and be Kung Fu Masters. What would you, what skill set would you download if you could? If I had access to Morpheus's learning computer, oh, juggling. I've never been able juggling. to figure out how to juggle. There's you a friend of mine that can do five balls. <laughs> so the entire power yeah. of this completely artificial simulated yep. reality yep. and you want to learn how to juggle. Yeah, man. Not, I always wanted to know how to juggle. I want to learn how to, you know, who's that? Is it Danny McGaskill, the, the guy who rides his BMX across like, you know, a, a, a cliff at the edges of buildings and cliffs and he, stuff like yeah. that? That's what I want to do. All right. Morpheus, wake me up from the Matrix and let me ride a BMX in a really cool way. I can just imagine that scene. Morpheus is there going, okay, boys, Ancient Smith's on the way. Okay, Ginsburg, juggle in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Clawson, Clawson, backflip the BMX. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do all the work. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Morpheus, yeah, welcome to the Dad Pod Hall of Fame. Dad Pod salutes he's, you. And he's so like the vet. Don't just know. No, don't just. Sh what's, no, it, what's the line? Don't it's think you the are. Best damn no, line you ever. are. You're fast. You're holding back. Don't. Don't think you are. No, you are. That's it. That's the line. That's the line. Morpheus, what a father figure. What an incredible father figure you are. Actually, speaking of Morpheus, last night I, you know, often just sit down on the couch if I got home from work at fuck o'clock, and um, I sat down on the couch <laughs> to eat some cereal at three a.m. and um, yep. John Wick One was on. I mean, like, what are you going to do? Oh. You're going to what? Like, not watch the scene where he goes into the nightclub? Of course, you're going to watch the oh, scene where he goes into the fantastic. nightclub. Fantastic. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I want to. I want to see some dudes get sh getting shot in the temple from point blank range. What? Well, just hold hold there, mate. I'll be right with you. I've just got to get yeah. these two dudes coming in because he's a big fan yeah. of that John Wick. He's a big fan of like yeah. wrist lock. Stay there, pal. But a bang, but a bang, but a yeah. bang, but a bang. Okay, now you bang. 
<laughs> I, I hope they keep, mate, I could watch like John Wick films forever. I don't care how thin the plot is. <laughs> just give me Keanu, just break the necks and shooting heads. That's all I want. <laughs> and the knife fight. It's too bad anyway. John Wick's not a father of any kind because we could have inducted him to the Deadpool Hall of Fame anyway. To the dog. A- He's a father to the dog. Next episode. <coughs> Next episode, okay. John Wick. It's John because right. he adopts the dog at the end of episode one, doesn't he? I don't think that counts. We don't do fur babies. Come on, I've got to have some standards. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to email us, it's super easy. Askdadpod at gmail.com. We're also at dadpodgram on Instagram. Thank you, everyone, for getting in touch. And for uh, a lot of people loving the pod, a lot of people uh, getting in touch with me on Instagram saying they listen, Charlie, and that, you know, people that don't even have kids uh, are listening because they just, to be honest, Charlie, they just like to hear two dads talking about dad stuff in a way that isn't every fucking dad on every fucking commercial. I don't know how to do anything. Um, just because that also just shits me to tears. They, they don't have kids, so they actually have the free time to actually listen to podcasts. <laughs> I don't know about you, Osh, but my podcast consumption has plummeted in the last 18 months. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Uh, Charlie, you've had about six hours sleep in the last 48, so try and sneak uh, like a couple of 10-minute naps between now and whenever, and um, you're the best, and I'll see you next week, all right? All right. Until we speak next time, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>